Coming up on We Talk News this week, MSOs in the U.S. are moving forward on a lawsuit challenging the federal illegality of cannabis. Plus, facing a deadline, the North Carolina Senate votes to keep hemp and CBD legal. Fox anchor Laura Ingram causes a stir by blaming the normalization of cannabis on the mass shootings in America. And all cannabis business eyes and advocates are in New York City again, this time for the big CWCB Expo. Christopher Smith and Deborah Borchardt with their report from that trade show on We Talk News, next with Elena Pinto. Media original content is supported by Salient Systems, your trusted name in video surveillance for the cannabis industry, and by Revolutionary Clinics, Massachusetts' number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first, and by Accounting Buds, CPA services for the cannabis industry, and by Stylighting.shop. Log on today to get your grow kit. We are Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Weed Talk News. I'm Elena Pinto reporting for Pro Cannabis Media. Over the past decade, 19 states have legalized the adult use of cannabis. 38 states have medical programs and have decriminalized the plant. Now, multi-state operators like Cureleaf, Tar, Ascend, and others have hired a dream team of attorneys who are preparing to challenge the federal laws that forbid interstate commerce. They also will challenge the exemption that keeps cannabis businesses from deducting operating expenses, something every other industry in America can do. And with more on this, here is Phil Adams from Vote Pro Pot Podcast with our DC report. Hi, this is Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast here with the Weed Talk News DC report. A group of cannabis businesses have retained a top legal team to sue the federal government over policies that impede their legal operations. According to Ascend Wellness Holdings CEO Abner Curtin, the actions are an industry-wide effort potentially involving at least six major cannabis companies. One action would focus on ending the federal ban on interstate cannabis commerce and contesting the constitutionality of the Controlled Substances Act. Another would center around eliminating IRS Code 280E which prevents cannabis businesses from claiming the same federal tax deductions that are allowed for other businesses. Curtin says the coalition has retained Boys Schiller Flexner LLP, a law firm known for its involvement in some high profile litigation. Other potential participants include companies Terrasend and Cureleaf and the American Trade Association of Cannabis and Hemp. A Maryland official is asking the Justice Department to investigate the FBI's system for reporting cannabis-related arrests. Eric Sterling, a member of the Montgomery County, Maryland Policing Advisory Commission, sent a letter to the DOJ Inspector General urging the division to look into problems with the Uniform Crime Reporting Program as it pertains to marijuana. Sterling says the UCR is creating confusion that results in flawed data, which could impact policymaking including police funding. At issue is how state and local law enforcement interpret the UCR on what constitutes an arrest. 
Some localities categorize a civil citation for cannabis infractions punished, punishable by fines alone as an arrest for a narcotic violation. However, not all localities nationwide or even within Maryland have adopted that interpretation. The result in arrest numbers, uh, this results in arrest numbers being either inflated or underreported, depending on the interpretation. Either way, Sterling says the ambiguity is causing police departments to quote, publish false and misleading data about marijuana violations. Virginia lawmakers are considering creating a new criminal misdemeanor for possession of more than four ounces of marijuana in public. Just over a year ago, Virginia legalized possession of up to one ounce of cannabis for personal use and home cultivation of up to four plants. This new provision comes as part of a new two-year state budget published this week. In response, Marijuana Justice Virginia Executive Director Chelsea Higgs-Wise sent an email to state assembly members urging them to, quote, stop finding more ways to criminalize Virginians. A special session is meeting this week to consider the budget proposal. That's the Weed Talk News DC report for this week. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast. What you might not know is that in 1969, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled that the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act was unconstitutional. A Harvard professor named Timothy Leary used a self-incrimination defense to win his case, and that stood for just about two years before President Nixon signed the Controlled Substances Act in May of 1971. That law listed cannabis as a Schedule One drug with supposedly no medical benefits. So that is why cannabis is still federally illegal. In New York, the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo, or the CWCB, is a huge three-day trade show event. Over 10,000 people are expected at the Javits Center in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams will be giving a speech on Friday, and the head of the New York Cannabis Regulatory Board, Tremaine Wright, will also speak. And that's where you will find our own Christopher Smith from the American Cannabis Report and Deborah Borchardt of the Green Market Report. All right, Christopher Smith again, uh, publisher of the American Cannabis Report, and what a find, what a catch. I've got Deborah Borchard. How about that? Fantastic. Um, tell me, uh, Deborah, what's happening in the cannabis market here in New York, especially, and what kinds of things are you seeing here at the CWCBE conference? Well, so uh, this week actually was a shortened trading week on the New York Stock Exchange and all the exchanges because Monday was Memorial Holiday. So it was kind of a light week for business news in the cannabis industry. We did have some earnings. What I thought was kind of interesting with the earnings that we got this week is that the companies ended up having increased revenues from the fourth quarter to the first quarter. What we've seen this almost this whole earnings season is companies having a great fourth quarter and then down on the first quarter. So I thought that was a really positive thing. Also this week, and now, this is, was, I thought, a little odd, but the Almond Brothers band announced that they were coming out with their own branded cannabis strain. And I thought that was a little odd because almost everyone in the band is dead now. Uh, there's only really one founding member left. And they had a long history of, well, issues with hard drugs. And then they also had a lot of back and forth, like the, the band fell apart, regroup, fell apart, regroup. There was a lot of fighting and they build this cannabis as this celebration of life and wonderfulness. And I was like, 
Really? The Allman Brothers band? If you followed the Allman Brothers band, you knew that they fought with each other for years. They were not love and harmony at all. So I thought that was a very odd thing this week. Rebranding and launching a company all in one fell swoop, right? I guess so. I, you know, I, I just didn't quite follow that pitch, and I felt like it was a money grab. Um, celebrity brands have not done that well, very honestly, in in sales. So, but I guess they figure, why not? Yeah, the Grateful Dead is doing okay. Willie Nelson probably doing okay, but I think that's almost it, isn't it? I don't believe Willie's Reserve is doing that well. I think that um, any Burner, Be Real, Wiz Khalifa. I think the people that really had that brand recognition of cannabis within their whole personality and lifestyle were doing well. Now, Willie Nelson obviously did live that lifestyle, and I mean, he got arrested for cannabis at one point, and, and famously so, but from what I understand, because he's not as connected to the brand, it's just kind of licensed, that it has not done well, and cannabis consumers are very knowledgeable and they know if these artists are very tied into the product or if they're just signing their name to it. Yeah, that's for sure. I think even Santana as a brand you would think would be an amazing success story and it probably has that same feel to it. He might not really be connected to it and maybe that's not why it's or why it's not necessarily taking off. Exactly. I think with someone like Wiz Khalifa, who was very instrumental in looking at the strains and the grow process and was really focused on it, um, I think you also see that with Melissa Etheridge. She was very focused on the farm. She really knew what was happening on the farm. And so I think that is that differentiatingness is the authenticity of the brand and the artist. And then there's the question about Jay-Z then, obviously, because he's so well capitalized and so big, but that I don't know. That product has not done well at all. The monogram line, right. it, it was billed as a luxury line. So expensive. Very expensive. And yeah, and everybody just felt like they just put their name on it. Now, as someone as a reporter, for me, if I get pitched a celebrity brand, but then the celebrity is not available to talk about their brand, that to me says a lot. I think that if a celebrity is going to put their name on a brand, they should be accessible. They should be willing to do interviews and some of these people are nothing. There's just you can't talk to them about their brand at all. It's a lesson for companies of all of all sizes, I think. Now, tell me is there anything interesting going on in uh, you told me you mentioned a stock market issue that yes. that has come up. Tell me yes. about that. Yes. So, um, not long ago, a company started trading on the Nasdaq called Bright Green. And it was touted as the only cannabis company in the U.S. that trading on the NASDAQ. Now, so if anybody follows any of this stuff, you know that the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange won't allow a cannabis company in America to trade because cannabis is federally illegal. So Canadian companies can do this, not U.S. So they said, oh, wow, this U.S. company is going to be trading on the NASDAQ. They said because they have a memorandum of agreement with the DEA to provide research cannabis. So that's why the NASDAQ said we're going to let this one go through. Well, upon some digging, you know, I noticed that within their filing, they had a couple of lawsuits against them. And that's very unusual. Companies don't go public with lawsuits against them. It's very unusual. You'll settle it. You'll do anything to get rid of it. Get it off the books. Get it out of there. Um, so one of them was the former CEO 
and I found the, I got the court documents uh, from the state of New Mexico. Uh-oh. Uh-oh was right. <laughs> and what happened was, now this was what's called a direct listing. So when you're an IPO, that means you open it up to the market. You, you The shares are for anyone to buy. More shares are offered. With a direct listing, you basically just say, we've got, I don't know, a million shares, and that's that. We're, the only shares you can buy are the ones that are people inside the company are selling. So it's insider selling. Now, the former CEO said, when they came to him and said, we need to verify the valuation of this company, he was like, wait a minute, you're, you're valuing this company at, at $1 billion, $2 billion, $3 billion, $4 billion, $5 billion, and they have no revenues. They have no plants. Uh-oh. They have no cultivation facility. They have no revenues. And how is this company with zero? You're looking at me like, yeah, zero, zero. Red flags, red flags, flag, flag, oh, red yeah. flags, red flags. So the CEO, former CEO said, I'm not putting my name onto this number. This this number is not, it's it's misrepresenting. It's aggressive. It's, it's fraudulent. So they said, you know what? You're out. They fired him. Oh, okay. They oh, fired him. But they, and they still listed at the Nasdaq. And and so, more digging, I see in their filing. They say, well, you know what? If we don't quite live up to the Nasdaq's requirements, we may have to delist. So they're basically going to list the stock, sell their shares, and then potentially just go. Oh, and, and the Nasdaq's probably going to say, hey, your valuation isn't right. You're not meeting these these things that we told you you had to meet, these requirements, so you're going to have to delist. And by then, they will have sold what was essentially a worthless stock to unsuspecting investors. So, uh, That's an incredible story. Good. Uh, yes, it was a lot of legwork. Um, hopefully it will say, you know, hopefully it will warn some people not to buy the stock. Okay, good advice. You heard it here. You heard it here from Deborah Borchard from Green Market Report. Thank you so much for stopping by. Now it's time to move into our state-by-state roundup of cannabis news from coast to coast. Mississippi is one of the newer states that decriminalized cannabis and approved a medical program over the past year. That program launched this past week. And on June 1st, the first applicants for a medical card were submitted. One state that passed its medical law way back in 2008 was Michigan. And needless to say, that state has a mature market now. So here's our mature correspondent from that state, Rick Thompson. Hello, everyone. This is the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News. Let's begin. Well, it's money versus money in Menominee as cannabis companies battle it out over who won and who lost in the city's adult use retail licensing awards. Rise and the fire station were the big winners of the city's recreational cannabis retail licensing scheme. Loom, Higher Love, High Wire Farms, New Group, and Green Farm have filed suit to block the licenses, stating the city of Menominee failed to follow Open Meetings Act requirements and that there were illegal communications between the representatives for some companies and city officials. Former Michigan Attorney General Mike Cox represents RISE, one of the winners, and it was revealed he'd stopped by for a little chat in a private setting with the city manager. Now, the two men claim it was all friendly and there was no business discussed, but was there? We don't know, because RISE refuses to surrender documents to the losing cannabis firms 
which would clarify if decisions had been made prior to that conversation or not. Now, the case resumes in court Thursday, and the judge has ordered Rise to play fair and give up the documents requested in this case. Now, do you have a predictive nutrient optimizing algorithm? Well, I do, but it's my belly telling me when I'm hungry. If you're in the business of raising cannabis plants, one Dearborn Heights company says they're looking for a better way to grow bouncy, beautiful buds with less water, fewer newts, and a smaller electric bill. Draz Canna, which sounds like a really bad villain name from a 007 movie, was idle until 2021, but now claims to be setting the global world of eco-friendly cultivation on fire. They believe their new method of constant monitoring can increase plant yield, quality, and taste for users of indoor or hybrid greenhouse technologies. I can't comment on the science of their endeavor, but included along with the company's May 27 press release was a picture which doesn't really inspire confidence. Their high-tech system looks like a series of black Home Depot buckets set up in a standard basement hydro drip system with hoses held in place by duct tape. Now, we had more sophisticated systems at Big Daddy's in 2009. Here's a cautionary tale to those who would make bold claims about being an industry leader and make sure your supporting photography looks like an industry leader, not like somebody who snapped an iPhone picture of their neighbor's homemade caregiver flood and drain setup. Uh, the Cannabis Regulatory Agency just this week announced their quarterly review meeting on June 16th and revealed the special subject for discussion at that meeting should Michigan's rules requiring flower products to be prepackaged, should state rules not allow retailers to sell bulk flour. Hmm. Many cannabis retailers order flour in bulk and sell it deli style so customers can see what they're receiving prior to purchase and they weigh out and package each order fresh into the customer's specifications. Many cannabis consumers in Michigan refuse to purchase cannabis in prepackaged containers, which means a decision to require prepackaging will drive some back into the unregulated marketplace. Prepackaging is an environmentally unfriendly requirement. It increases the cost of cannabis to the consumer and eliminates the personal choice Michigan's regulated marketplace has so generously offered to date. A survey of internet respondents via social media shows most customers disfavor eliminating bulk flour purchases. Previous sessions of this nature have been held on remediation labeling and conversion oil. The CRA will take comments either in written format or in direct testimony at the meeting itself. Well, the first social consumption lounge open to the public has launched in Kalkaska, a small community in the northern lower peninsula. The Kalkushka Lounge is located right next door to The Botanical Company, a cannabis retailer, and was created as a joint venture between Boko and Real Leaf Solutions, which is a Kalkaska cannabis cultivator. The lounge allows indoor consumption of cannabis and food, both of which are available for delivery from local shops. The lounge is downtown and sits right on the main drag through town. I was invited to a special premiere for the lounge prior to its public opening on June 1st, 
and it is a fantastic place with a great design and wonderful people. Although the opening of Kalkushka is a win for the principals involved, it's a bigger win for the entire lounge industry, which is a brand new regulated license type in Michigan. In a year filled with firsts, this one really feels like a significant step forward. Congratulations, Kalkushka Lounge. And that's it for the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News. Fox News anchor Laura Ingram is one of the loudest conservative voices on that network, and she stirred up quite a flurry of comments after she said that she thinks the recent rash of mass shootings in the U.S. may be tied to the normalization of the legalization of cannabis in many states. Media Matters reports that Ingram said in a segment called The Unintended Consequences of Normalizing Pot should be considered a contributing factor to the violence that has rocked our nation. She then cited a New York Times report that the shooter in Uvalde was a cannabis consumer. And that report was later retracted from online edition of the Times. Ingram though, who is no fan of the Times, believes it was pulled to protect the emerging multi-billion dollar cannabis industry. So let's go down to Florida to check in with Heather Allman from the Cannabis Law Report. Thank you, Elena. It's time for the weekly Florida report from We Talk News. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report. CanPay has officially expanded its reach to nearly all of Florida's cannabis consumers. On June 2nd, Florida fully adopted CanPay, the largest legitimate payment network for cannabis merchants and consumers. Now the platform is accepted at 95% of the state's medical cannabis treatment centers, and nearly all of Florida's medical cannabis patients can opt to use CanPay at the register. For those unfamiliar, CanPay is an easy-to-use app that allows consumers to pay at retailers with a simple debit from their checking account. CanPay CEO Dustin Aide said, quote, We're thrilled to be able to offer all of Florida's cannabis consumers fast, free, and safer-than-cash transactions. Years of research have proven that cannabis has powerful anti-anxiety properties. In fact, a study conducted in 2018 by Washington State University and published in the Journal of Affective Disorders found that a single puff of cannabis that is high in CBD and low in THC was enough to reduce depression symptoms. Two puffs made patients feel less anxious, and after 10 puffs, they were less stressed. But much less is known about the specific ratio of cannabinoids that works best to alleviate anxiety. So how much cannabis is required to help reduce anxiety? Florida researchers intend to find out with a new large-scale medical cannabis study launched this week that will explore the best CBD-THC ratio for treatment of anxiety specifically. The study led by Florida Gulf Coast University, Relief App, and CANA-MD aims to further clarify what ratio works best. Researchers will track 1,000 patients who will report their experiences while using medical cannabis. These users agreed to take part in the research and over a course of 45 days will report before and after using cannabis products by answering daily anxiety-related questions using their smartphones. This will track details about cannabis use, side effects, and associated outcomes related to symptom relief. The study is not, however, asking participants to change how much cannabis they use. Lead researcher Nathan Pipitone says the study is preliminary groundwork that will open the door to allow more rigorous research. In other news, Curate, a cannabis IT and security services provider, announced on Monday it was expanding into the Florida cannabis market with the acquisition of the Coral Springs-based cannabis IT services firm Real Cloud Pros. 
According to CEO Eric Schlissel, Curate Services will help the state's MSOs maintain compliance, stabilize costs, and continue growth, but can also help smaller operators use technology and IT best practices to survive and compete. Since 2016, Curate has grown tremendously through strategic acquisition moves and partnerships with leading cannabis tech innovators in both software and hardware. Over the coming weeks, Curate will be working to smoothly transition RCP's clients to their system, and as a combined team, they will have the scale and expertise to serve the needs of the entire Florida cannabis market. Curate will also be taking the place of Real Capos as an exhibitor at the 6th Annual Cannabis Law Accounting and Business Event in Miami on June 3rd and 4th. That's a wrap for the We Talk News Florida Report. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report. One thing that has been pretty consistent during this normalization of cannabis consumption in our country is as soon as voters give the thumbs up to adult use, gifting cannabis becomes commonplace. Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont is trying to stop that trend in his state by signing into a law a fine of $1,000 if you are caught gifting cannabis. Now, you can still give cannabis as a gift free of charge, but don't charge $75 for a t-shirt and throw in an eighth of an ounce as a bonus. When legal states open their first legal adult use stores, this gifting practice usually stops. And we head up to Vermont now for the Green Mountain States Report with RN Jesse Lynn Dolan of Nurse Grown Organics. I'm Jesse Lynn Dolan from Nurse Grown Organics and Vermont Cannabis Nurses. And this is the We Talk News Vermont Report. The Vermont Cannabis Control Board approved seven more outdoor cultivation licenses, voted on a summer meeting schedule, and discussed fire safety with Vermont Division of Fire Safety Regional Manager Landon Wheeler. The board has received 226 license applications, 62 are incomplete, largely due to minor errors. One social equity applicant was denied because while the applicant was convicted many years ago for a cannabis offense, they were not incarcerated as a result of the conviction. Bold decision by the board. Burlington's Burn Gallery is holding a summer bong sale throughout the month of June, so check it out. That's the Vermont Report for Weed Talk News. I'm Vermont's cannabis nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. Here in the Bay State of Massachusetts, you will find one of the nation's largest multi-state operators, Pure Relief. That company and five other MSOs are pooling their legal evidence to take on the federal cannabis laws. And in the meantime, the state has passed $3 billion in sales. Ron Marshallsey has our Massachusetts Cannabis Report. I'm Ron Marshallsey for Weed Talk News. This is the Massachusetts Cannabis Report. Cannabis Provisions Growing Facility in Sheffield has a room dedicated to growing five different strains of cloned cannabis plants. Cultivation director Greg Chemdog Shinovsky oversees the cloning process and says it only takes a few weeks for these plants to grow. And for the first time, about 500 of these clones will be available at Canna Provision Store in Lee the first weekend in June. Shinovsky will be there to help people get started growing at home, and he says if you can grow good vegetables, you can grow just fine flour. Local cannabis testing laboratory, MCR Labs, has released a new testing suite designed to diagnose microbial issues in plants. With this new service, cultivators can prevent future outbreaks by being able to monitor their grow environment closely for any potential contamination sources, avoiding a full-on outbreak altogether. Jonathan Wenny, MCR's Director of Business Development, was quoted as saying, 
It's really a game changer for growers, as microbial outbreaks are not an if, but a when issue. The biggest value for them is identifying the specific species behind the outbreak. Once you know what species you're working with, you can develop a targeted remediation plan that's going to be much more effective than a generic remediative method. These tools are meant to provide cultivators with actionable data on their grow to aid in the production of happy, healthy plants. And finally, Tilt Holdings LLC announced their dispensary Commonwealth Alternative Care will be expanding its home delivery of medical and adult use cannabis starting June 1st. The dispensary to door service started being primarily offered on the South Shore, but is now offered in South Boston, Cambridge, and Quincy, plus the surrounding areas. To serve this greater area, CAC expanded its relationship with Braxton Pistols, a locally woman-owned and veteran-managed social equity cannabis delivery operator. That's this week's Massachusetts Cannabis Report. For Weed Talk News, I'm Ron Marshallsey. Just in case you are keeping score at home, there are now 19 legal adult use states in the United States, and one of the newer ones is New Jersey. And many of the 18 medical dispensaries that are operating there got the first crack at the new adult use market. Well, it looks like Verano will be upping that total to 19. Joe Goldsbury has our New Jersey report. This week, Jersey City officials have expressed concerns about cannabis distributors in New Jersey City. The Jersey City Planning Board approved the application of Cannabis Place 420 Corp to operate, which will operate an adult use cannabis dispensary at 1544 Kennedy Boulevard, which happens to be in close proximity to three schools, three public schools. And despite the concerns of parents and school officials, school trustee Lorenzo Richardson said a dispensary this close to schools is a recipe for disaster. However, under city regulations, a cannabis facility cannot be within 200 feet of a school or playground. Canvas Place actually happens to be more than 200 feet away. So we'll see how this plays out because the Board of Education Vice President Gina Bertabello urged the planning board to wait to approve. In other news, Massachusetts-based Uma Flowers is making the move to New Jersey. The dispensary has just been approved for to open in our garden state and they've been awarded a recreational license and this will be, as I said, located in Morristown, New Jersey. It'll be Morristown's very first dispensary. It'll be located at 102 Ridgedale Avenue. And Uma Flowers, if you do know them from Massachusetts, they're located in Pepperell and they opened recently in December, founded by two sister-in-laws with a background in the health sector for the past five years. So welcome to New Jersey, Uma Flowers. We look forward to visiting you in the near future. I am Jill, and that's the New Jersey Cannabis Report for We Talk News. The first legal state in the nation, Washington State, has always been at the forefront of the cannabis industry, and that might be happening again. Josh Kincaid of The Talking Hedge tells us there is now a manufacturing company out there that has created a pre-roll tube from recycled material. Here's his report this week. I'm Josh Kincaid from The Talking Hedge with Washington State Cannabis Report for We Talk News. The cannabis industry is dealing with a lot of packaging waste, but a Washington cannabis company is manufacturing pre-rolled dube tubes from recycled material made locally for less than a cost to make overseas. Individual pre-roll joints come in plastic dube tubes that actually aren't recyclable. In California, Oregon, and Colorado, a quarter of a billion dollars in dube tubes were sold in just one 12-month period. 
And so if you think about that spread over the dozens of states that are regulating adult use cannabis and all of the material going into landfills, it gives you a sense of the scope of the problem. To break it down, there are some limiting options available to the biodegradable plastics that are really not priced to be on the market and are outliners. The majority of dube tubes that are made are non-recyclable plastic because it's cheaper. But even those that are made out of recyclable plastic, unfortunately, the recycling machines have openings that allow small items to fall through. So any piece of plastic smaller than three inches in size is going into a landfill. Washington State is trying really hard to reduce the amount of contamination or diversion of the supply chain from cannabis growers to retailers to consumers. But they weren't thinking about the combined impact of all that packaging going into landfills. The impact is, is going to be a reduction of single-use plastics, a quick turnaround time with zero-waste U.S. manufacturing. So Snowco Packaging is a leader in waste reduction impacts, and they're having invested in a mold that brings the most popular joint dube tube packaging from overseas to Everett, Washington, and they're making this child-resistant dube tube from 100% recycled polypropylene at a competitive price compared to overseas products with the potential to reduce over 40 tons of cannabis waste from landfills. Next week, you guys are going to find out more about Washington State's cannabis scene, but with that, we're going to have to roll up this Washington State cannabis report. I'm Josh Kincaid from the Talking Hedge, reporting for We Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. And finally tonight, a study on the studies and research of cannabis. That's right. There's a new study published by the Journal of Cannabis Research that is looking at the more than 30,000 research studies on cannabis from 1879 to 2021. Believe it or not, there has been more than $1.5 billion dedicated to that cannabis research. Most of these studies have been conducted by agencies who are looking for dangers of the cannabis plant. In fact, this new study discovered the bias in some of those reports containing the words that are harm associated. Dependence, addictive, forensic, drug, and abuse were used more often than others. So while many of our policymakers are urging more research, the Journal of Cannabis Research wants to be able to conduct those studies without the bias of the substance abuse community. And that'll do it for this week's Weed Talk News. I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media. It's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it and research it responsibly. We'll see you next time.
Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Difference is building a solution for that individual. Not just a custom, here's a box, here's a video, here's how you make your VMS. We custom design and custom build every situation for exactly what the customer needs. And we keep the cost low. We have multiple tiers, you know, as far as what you're looking at on the cost side of things. If you want a one-time, you know, where you just pay one initial cost, we have that. If you want to maintain your system and have the highest protection and highest capabilities and highest upgrades at all times, we have different plans for you. But we scale it so it's scalable and affordable 100%. Hey, you want to grow your own plants? Check out Style Lighting's Grow Kit. It has everything you need to become an expert home grower and bring the power of the sun indoors. Style Lighting uses TCP's high-powered commercial LEDs that deliver twice the output in the market. The Grow Kit has a grow bag, a timer, chains to hang the light, and of course the best in the business lighting system by TCP. Check out stylelighting.shop for more information. Pro Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro Cannabis Media, on Instagram at Pro Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at Pro Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro Canna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash Pro Cannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are Pro Cannabis Media.